All right, we welcome you back. Welcome you back. And we're getting some good cold weather stories here. I don't know who has the coldest story. John Kruger says he was tarping up a sugar beet truck in Grand Forks, North Dakota. It was 50 below. That, that's cold. Grand Forks, North Dakota was always cold. I was pretty close to where I grew up. It was about an hour away from where I grew up. So, um, yeah, that was chilly. And then you factor into the wind chill. That's, you know, those temperatures aren't without wind chills. So uh, those temperatures are cold, all right? As there trees up? Actually, Grand Forks has a lot of the, the tall cottonwood shelter belts. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of Norfolk, Nebraska, actually. When I go up to Norfolk, it reminds me of that Grand Forks area. Yeah, yeah, but it's flat. You get to the eastern part of the state, it's just flat. And I never realized how flat eastern North Dakota was until I moved up to Alaska. And I come back to North Dakota for my first year of college, and I just, I just sat there amazed and looked, and it's just kind of, it's so flat, you know? And I, but I hadn't noticed it before, but being up in Alaska with all the trees and the hills and the mountains and stuff like that, it's just kind of like all of a sudden you get perspective, right? Amen. Well, it's good to have uh, Pastor Andy. He's going to be sharing with us today. And he is... Um, uh, it's been five years. Did you pass the five-year mark? Going on five years here from Tucson, Arizona to Crete, Nebraska. So that's pretty incredible. So let's give Pastor Randy a hand this morning. Thanks, Pastor Rent. All right. Yes, yeah, so you can see that I titled my message today, What Are Your Priorities in I think that's a good time to evaluate your priorities, especially in light of the new year. And I think a lot of us probably do that um, already. But I want to look at God's word in regards to our priorities. And so my first question to you is, is your priority to steward God's promise? In our account today, we'll look at Luke's account. Joseph and Mary had the privilege and blessing and honor of stewarding, stewarding God's promise, of managing, of making sure God's promise um, was taken care of. And they literally got to experience that. And although we're not like Joseph and Mary who take care of Jesus literally as like a little baby all the way up to his youth, 12 years old, which we'll look at his other account of Luke, um, God does allow us to partner with him to steward his promise. Amen? And that's truly a a privilege, a blessing, and honor of being able to do that. And God has been, this is a message that I'm going to talk to you about, but it's uh, been something that God has been doing ever since I started following him, teaching me how to steward his promise. So let's bow our heads, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you... um, just taking a moment to evaluate our lives and think back on your faithfulness and that it's been you that's get, got us through every season. And it'll continue to be you who keeps us and sustains us through every season. It's your faithfulness. It's your goodness. It's your kindness. It's your mercy. It's your love, God. Would you help us to evaluate our, our priorities, Lord? And if they're not in alignment with your word, your will, or your way, God, would you patiently, like a good father, bring us back under alignment? with your will and your word and your way, God. Would you speak to us? Show us how to steward your promise. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. All right, we'll still be in the same book, so I love how 
Pastor Brent shared a message in the account of Luke, and I love how God just, when he speaks to Pastor Brent, and then he speaks to me, it kind of goes well together. So he talked about more so the value of God's word, and and uh, through the life of Mary and Joseph, and, and it's just cool because that's going to um, piggyback off of my message too. So, But yes, Luke, he's a physician, he's a doctor, he's not an eyewitness, He's not an eyewitness account, um, but he's done his investigation on Jesus Christ. And Luke is the only gospel to have a record of the hidden years in Nazareth in Jesus' life as a youth. Jesus is a 12-year-old, okay? He's the oldest child. He's the example child. Any example childs out there? First child? First, any first, firstborn? Anybody? Wonder if they're example child. We got two up here. I know that for a fact. They're example children, first children, right? Oldest? Yep. Example, children. I thought so. That's not me. <laughs> All right, but anyways, we're going to look at Jesus' life, and we're going to answer this question. How do we steward God's promise? How do we know that we've done everything that the Father has called us to do? And how can we be certain that we will hear the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant? We're going to, if you have your Bible, you can turn to, to Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 52. We're going to answer... Um, this as we look through this scripture. Luke chapter 2, verse 39 to 52. All right, and so, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who were word were All who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Sorry, I looked at Pastor Brenton and Amy because I said that word. I biffed that word last time, but I'm pretty positive I capitalized on it today. Anyways, yes, so we see that God chose Joseph and Mary to literally steward God's promise. Who's God's promise? Anybody? It's a pretty simple answer, everybody. If the, if the kid doesn't know an answer in, the, in, the, in our kids' church, they usually just shout this name and for every answer, every question I ask them. God's promise to us is Jesus. Jesus. They had the responsibility to steward God's promise. And they had to teach him what priorities were. They had to teach him what values were. And so they had to live this probably personally for their lives. Because if you know, for those of you that have kids, 
values or priorities are not just taught, but they're more caught than taught. What, what, am I, what do I mean by that? If you don't live the values that, or priorities that you are teaching your children, it's probably not going to have that much of an impact in their lives or much meaning um, in their lives. And so why did God choose Joseph and Mary? I believe it's because of this, the value that we believe here at Radiant Springs. I believe it's because they had an intimate relationship with God and were obedient and willing to follow the Father's will for their life. Let's look back at Mary's life, Mary's message from God. God came to Mary, who wasn't really anybody, a teenage girl, but the angel said to her, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're calling him Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. She goes on. Pastor Brent shared on this earlier or last week. She goes on and says, I'm the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word be fulfilled to me. Then the angel left her. What is that? God, what, what, is, what does that uh, passage of scripture show us? Mary was willing to follow God, give her life as an offering to God. Without all the details, just like you heard last week, she trusted God, even though she was nobody. And she was willing to see God's word come to pass. She was willing to be a steward and humbly serve God. Then the angel left her. Now, there's one. Now we need Joseph. Because Mary, she was not from the line of David. And that would not be in alignment with God's promise because the Savior would have to come through the line of David. But Joseph would be. So let's look why God chose Joseph. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Or in some translations, it says righteous. If you study that word, righteous or keeping the commands of God. Joseph, he, 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 before he, he hears Mary come to him and says, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and you can imagine Joseph's like, excuse me? <laughs> We're not even married. And you heard Joseph's value, his priority is to be faithful to God and to his word. And she probably brings up, well, Joseph's like, who's the dad? Mary's like, God. <laughs> we read the story because we know it, but this is real life to them. They're not reading the story. They're living this life. And so we see this is probably really confusing to Joseph. And so Joseph, he wanted to make a decision based off of God's word. He wanted to keep God's law, and so he's like, it didn't make sense to him. He's, so he maybe heard this from Mary, and he's like, mm. okay, Mary. He's, Joseph's a man of God. Joseph knows his priorities. He wants to please God. He wants to follow God, but he doesn't think this is right. He considers human law and says, well, if you commit adultery, you can divorce a woman. Okay, and so he, he, he doesn't want to get married to her. He's probably been waiting. His, his dream was probably to be married to a, a woman that waited, a virgin. And um, we see here, now God speaks to Joseph. And you see here why God chose Joseph. Because he was a man who was righteous. He was a man, when he considered things, he tried to do what God wanted him to do. Now, when we look at this scripture, at first, when I looked at it, I was like, dude, what's wrong with Joseph? Get, tell Joseph to get his act together. Smack him over the head. Tell him he's got, Mary's about to have Jesus and save the whole world. 
But if you study the scripture, Joseph's heart motive was pure. He just wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And so God speaks to him. And, and, and so, but after this, he considered an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and, and he gave them the name Jesus. Why is this all important? Why am I telling you about Joseph and Mary? Because God chose Joseph and Mary to be the parents of Jesus. This is very important because Jesus, he's not all-knowing when he comes He's just a baby. Anybody know a baby that knows everything? <laughs> they got to learn. They got to grow. <laughs> um, and even in his youth, he had to grow. He had to learn. Okay, he wasn't all-knowing. So he had to choose parents that were, had their priorities in alignment with the Father's will. And we see in both Joseph and, and Mary's life, it didn't make sense to Joseph. Joseph didn't have all the details figured out either. But he's like, he considered what God spoke to him through an angel. And what did he do? He woke up. He was obedient to God. This is important because they already lived these values before Jesus is even there on the scene. And Joseph doesn't even know, well, I guess Mary's going to have a baby from God. I'm just going to take a step of faith. This is a huge step. And we don't even, I don't, I don't think they, I don't believe they had thing, gender reveals back then because they, that's not even possible. <laughs> and so he was taking a huge step of faith of believing that Jesus was a boy and that God, this baby, this promise was from God. So they had priorities and they laid a foundation for Jesus. And this is important because this is what parents do. We lay a foundation for our children. And whatever foundation you lay, they're going to follow in that usually. They're gonna, usually your kids will do a good job of mimicking what you do. Every good thing and bad thing. <laughs> so... Um, so it's good to make sure that it's in alignment with, with the Father's will. And we see that in Joseph and Mary's life, but we also see that in Jesus' life. We see that his priority was to do the Father's will. That's what we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. He said, did you not know I must be in my Father's house? Now, the question that we have to tackle here, what is the Father's will? Let's look at it. Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 39 here. Or, I'm sorry, verse 40 here. You see that, and the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus, what's the first thing that he, what happened to him? He grew, right? Now, who helped this child grow? Who took care of him? Who did it every single day, planned, made sure that when he gets to this point when he's 12 years old, he can read, he can understand maybe what some of the teachers are talking about. Who who showed him these priorities? Who, who showed him how to be a man? Who, who helped him grow? See, you don't see that in Scripture, and it's easy to read right by it. But Jesus didn't just grow. Yes, I understand he was growing because in age you just grow. <laughs> but we see that there's much more than that that, that, that is growing. He's, grow, he's filled with wisdom. He's, he's physically strong, he, and spiritually, mentally, socially. So what am I trying to say here? I'm saying that the first step into the Father's will is to be willing to, to grow in each area of our life. And you see that in the, in the life of Jesus. And I'm speaking to youth here, 
But I'm not just speaking to youth either. I'm speaking to all of us. Because later in verse 52, you see that Jesus continues to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He continues to grow. So what's that tell you and me? If we have think we have arrived, we are probably in pride and need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because there's not, an ever, there's not a place where we arrive. We are always growing into what God wants us to become and what he's purposed us to become. But it's important that we're willing to grow in each area of our life and what he's speaking to us. Now, parents are supposed to help their kids to lay a foundation of that. And how do I know that to be true? Because Jesus shares this to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, verse 23. But he says this. Okay, it's the parable of of the sower. And this is words that he's sharing. But these are words that he's probably experienced in his life. He says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Why am I bringing up that this is, uh, uh, um, that this is important here? Be- he's sharing what Joseph and Mary did for him. You might not see that, but this is an experience in his life. They have laid a foundation of good soil. What do I mean? They were living the priorities of, hey, God, I, I don't know if Jesus is going to be born in Mary, but I see your promise. You said your promise is coming like a seed, <laughs> little baby. <laughs> and they hear the word. And, the, and when we read understand it, we think, oh, maybe they understand all the details. That's not true. If you, understand, if you look at that word in the Greek, it's actually perceive or consider. Consider it. That's exactly what Joseph did when he considered, after he considered divorcing Mary. God spoke to him, and he considered it. And that's what God's asking you today. Will you consider his word, his promise? And would you allow your heart to be good soil, to believe it? You don't have to worry about what result, whether it's going to produce 160 or 30 times. Don't focus on that. Focus on being faithful and stewarding God's promise. And it's important that we see this This is a foundation because you see that my first point is to grow. But you can't grow without good soil. You can't because there's, there's, other, there's other, uh, other things that will, will take that out. Jesus goes into detail of those other things, but I'm not going to focus on that right now. I want to f- line your attention with, with believing in, in allowing God's word to fall on good soil, to hear his word, to trust him, know that he's good, know that he's going to accomplish his word, but he's going to do it with you. And the first step to accomplishing the Father's will is to being willing to grow in it each and every area of our life. And we see that in the life of Jesus. We'll get to that, but I want to get to this point first here, okay? So Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Does anybody know what Passover is? I'll give you a hint. It's when the Israelites were back in Egypt, and uh, they were slaves. God performed a sign that, hey, the death angel will come over, all of the homes and wherever the blood of the lamb, the spotless, perfect blood of the lamb, would be on the doorpost, wiped on the doorpost, the spirit, of the angel, death angel would cross over, and that, those people would be protected. But anyone else that did not have the blood of the lamb, they would die. And this was a this was a value. This was 
This was a priority of Jesus and or of Joseph and Mary to bring Jesus to this Passover. And that's quite interesting that they bring him. And Luke records this, that he's bringing him to Passover. Because this spotless lamb who saved the Israelites would be Jesus who would save not only Israel, but all who believed in him. And so this is interesting. I don't know if Jesus understands this. I don't know what year he necessarily understands that that's him. He's the Messiah. He's the spotless lamb that they talk about in the Old Testament and the prophecies. And, um, but we see when he's 12 years old, he does that. And the feast ends. And what does he do? What do kids usually do? Well, they go back with their parents. But what drew, drew Jesus to stay? Because Jesus was the example child, remember? He followed the rules. Perfect kid. <laughs> what caused him to stay? We'll answer that, but before that, let's see how the parents are doing. <laughs> His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple. Has anybody ever lost their kids before? As you're, okay, you probably understand then. Uh, on Saturday, I had a dream of losing Ophelia in Arizona, and I was like, oh my gosh, my heart sunk in me. <laughs> and I was like, "Woo!" And I had never experienced it, but I just had a dream, and it felt so real. And I was like, wow, okay, Lord, I hope that's not to happen. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's made this scripture come to life a little bit. Because I got a little glimpse, but Joseph and Mary are literally... Because when, when they were going back, the kids were usually in the front with the woman, and the men were in the back, and they're usually with, were with extended family. And so Jesus being Jesus, he's the example child. Come on. They probably didn't think that they had to worry about Jesus. And so, but now they're literally worrying about Jesus, like, where is he? Okay, they, they get there. They travel probably for about a day. They search for him for about a day. Don't find him. They come back the third day. And this is interesting that Luke records three days that it took to find the son. Three days to find Jesus. Three days. What do we see through Joseph and Mary's life? We see the father's priority. We see that he cares about you and me. And it was, he's a, through Jesus' life here, it was only going to take three days <laughs> to find his son, to restore you, my relationship and your relationship. We see the father's perspective through Joseph and Mary. And Joseph and Mary... Luke doesn't record, oh, let's figure out how much we got to pay to go and find Jesus. There's no details of that. If you lost your kid, you're going to do whatever it takes. No cost. Whatever cost it's going to take, your love is going to outweigh that. That's the same with the father. And it's only going to take, it's interesting that it took three days for them. That's all it was going to take for God the father to wrestle with death and defeat it in the grave. And so we see the Father's heart through Joseph and Mary, but we see how he was going to do it through Jesus. Because, but I'll get to that point. I won't, I won't get to that just yet. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. All who were amazed at his understanding, his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And if you study that word distress, literally, it's like what Paul felt for Israel who was going to hell. That's literally what Mary and Joseph are feeling in this moment. They feel like they've lost their son. They are not doing a good job of stewarding God's promise, and they're looking for him. 
Why did you do this, Jesus? And Jesus, the little boy, answers. He's confused. Why were you looking for me? And I don't think he's meaning it in any disrespectful way. Because back in that time, it was the, the tradition was that you didn't have the, the scroll or the word of God available to you. So the tradition was an oral tradition of telling what God has done. And so, I don't know, at some point, I don't know if Joseph and Mary told Jesus, hey, this is what God spoke to me and how you were going to come to be, that you're the Messiah, you're the Savior. But it kind of would make sense because Jesus is asking this question, are you looking for me? Angel comes to Mary, tells who Jesus is going to be, the Son of the Most High, tells Joseph that, hey, he's going to be Jesus, the Savior, and he's going to save his people from, the sins, from their sins. And, but then you see it from the prophet, Anna and Simeon, but then you see it from the shepherds who say, hey, here's the Savior. And so we see the Father's love through Jesus because this is who he was going to do it through. This is how he was going to do it, by sending his son Jesus. And Jesus finally gets it. And it's because Joseph laid a good foundation for his son. Joseph was an active father in his son's life. He saw Jesus. This is what kids need. They need to be seen. They need to be secure and safe. How else would Jesus be away from his parents, several miles away, a day's journey at least, away from his parents and feel safe and say, Mom, didn't you know how to be in my father's house or the things of my father? If you study that word, the word is pater. It's a Greek word, and it means heavenly father. What he was saying to his mom and dad is saying that that's, I had to be closest. I had to be in my father's house. And father in there means nearest ancestor. He looked at his parents and said, I'm close to my parents. I'm close to my dad. He's closer to me than to you. And this is where I was meant to be. Why are you looking for me? This is what I was meant to do. To be in here. To be spending time with him. And you don't see that, but you don't amaze experts who have studied the law all of their life, who can memorize, recite all of the, the not only the Torah and the Pentateuch, but all of the scroll. That, that, for them to get to that role, and them to be amazed by a 12-year-old boy, Jesus, who doesn't know everything, okay, because that would, that would go against his word. He got rid of those things so that way he can become a man and understand what it is to be like a man. And he was a little boy, and he's amazing them. They're amazed, and, and his parents see that, and they're like, where did you get that understanding? I'll tell you. It was when nobody else was looking. It was that still, small voice that said to Jesus when the feast ended, hey, the crowd's going, come here. Stay with me. Stay just a little bit more long, a little, a little longer. Let me show you who you are. Jesus really realized who he was. He realized who his dad was. That's what God wants to show you today. Just stay here just a little longer. Stay here to hear the Father's perspective. And that's my second point. To center our life around the Father's perspective. Jesus shows us how he did that. He had an intimate relationship with God through prayer, and that's because his parents laid that foundation. But Jesus also had to, to practice that. And he also spent time in God's word, listening among the experts. And it's crazy because all through that time of centering his, his, his life around the Father's perspective, 
You know Jesus would later be a rabbi, right? He would be a teacher. You realize that, right? And he's sitting around teachers, literally learning how to be a teacher. I don't know if he understands or knows he's going to be a teacher. But one thing I do know is he centered his life around the Father's perspective. Jesus would later say in John chapter 4, verse 34, to his disciples, he says, my food is this. Does anybody have a priority to eat food? Come on, no, you're, you're going to die if you don't eat food. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go grill a good burger after this. You know, if you never had a, a bacon burger, mm, you got to go to Beatrice and get a bacon burger because they are so good. Anyways, back to the point here. <laughs> Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus understands in this moment who his father is. I don't know if he necessarily understands all everything that he's called to do, but he understands that he's He's God. He's the son of God. And that's exactly what Luke is trying to prove and show to his audience. That he's the son of God. And Jesus understands that he's the son of God. But we see that Jesus would later understand that he's supposed to go to a cross. But you don't get to the cross, point B over there, without the process of growing. Of setting your life around the father's perspective. That's A. And his parents laid a good foundation for him to get to the cross. God partnered with man, and that's always been his plan. John chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, Jesus gave them this answer. He's talking to the Pharisees here after healing on the Sabbath. Very truly, I tell you, the Son of can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because the Father does what the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that way you will be amazed. He's telling us what his value was, what his priority was. It was centered around the Father's perspective. And people didn't understand that. Joseph and Mary didn't understand that. Disciples would later understand that. And when God gives you a word and speaks to you sometimes, you're just like, you want Mary to have a baby? And by you, uh, I don't even know how that's possible. We feel like Joseph. Okay, I guess I'll be obedient. God doesn't give you all the details. But he's looking for you to trust him because he's a good father. He's a good father. And he loves you. Amen? Lastly, the point that I want to capitalize on here. They didn't understand him. Jesus was submissive. He, he listened to his parents. He was still that example child. He was not disobedient because it seems like he was. He was obedient. It was to his true father, his heavenly father. And parents, we are only stewards of God's promise. Children, there are gifts from God only to be given back to him. They are his, but God allows us to steward the promise. And if you're, not, if you're not a parent, God gives you a promise, and he's trusting you to steward it. He's trusting you to grow. He's trusting you to center your life around his perspective through a life of prayer and through spending in his word, spending time in his word. Lastly, we see here Jesus, and he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. P- Pastor Brent mentioned last week, Joseph's never mentioned so we can probably assume that he, he probably did pass away. It would be pretty likely that he did. So Jesus being the oldest child would probably have to learn to be the man of the house, to provide for his mom. He learned how to be a carpenter. He had to learn to be faithful because to be a man, you have to learn to be faithful. He learned 
how to be a man because his dad taught him how to be a man. But he learned how to be a son because his dad taught him how to be a son. And when it came time to be in the father's house in the temple, when all the crowd was away, he knew who he was. He knew he was a son of God. He knew he was a child of God. And lastly, he was learning to be faithful. Faithful in his relationship with God. Faithful, maybe that means to us, our relationship with God, our relationship not with not his spouse. He didn't have a spouse. But with our spouse, our relationship with our family, our work, our ministry relationship, everything. Basically, my, my point here is to be faithful in the mundane, in the everyday grind, when nobody's not really patting your back, but you have responsibilities that you know you have to wake up and you have to get up and you have to take care of. Parents, you could probably can relate to that. Kids, youth, you can relate to that. You have homework. God has given you something to be faithful with. Now, it's your choice if you want to partner with God in stewarding this promise. But being faithful in the mundane got Jesus ready to be faithful with all the other things that God had for him. That's the very thing that God's been teaching me. Be faithful, Andy. Be faithful. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had to grow in character. Yeah, I might be a pastor. I had to grow integrity. I had to grow in my work ethic. I, yeah, I was a hard worker, but I wasn't consistent. And you know who laid, helped lay the foundation? These, this wonderful couple up here. Helped me and gave me an opportunity to be faithful. Faithful. And that's the same thing that God's calling us to be, to be faithful. I want to close with this. Um, Amy, you can come up um, now this time. I want to look at Joseph's illustration, not to confuse you. <laughs> Joseph in the Old Testament, not Joseph who took care of Jesus, okay? Joseph had a promise from God as a young youth, young man. Did that promise come to pass right away? No, just like a seed doesn't. It takes time. It takes time to grow. And you know who grows the seed? God the Father. That's what Jesus would say. This promise would not grow in your life unless it was centered around the Father's perspective, centered around the Father's heart. Unless it had good soil, it wasn't able to grow. But it also required for us to be faithful, to plant, to water, to take care of making sure that that seed had, it had everything it needed to grow. That's your part and my part, to be faithful with what God's given us, what we have control over. Joseph had to learn to be faithful in each area of his life, in the mundane, to fulfill or steward God's promise in his life. When his brothers betrayed him as a slave, in Potiphar's house as a servant, as a prisoner in a dungeon all alone and is a second in command over all of Egypt. But because Joseph learned to be faithful, learned to grow in each of those areas of his life and learned to center his life back to the Father's perspective, he was able to be in second in command and save all of Egypt in all, in all of his family. 
that's, that's the same for you today too. How? Jesus did it for you and for me on that cross. But now he wants to do that with you and with me. Because it'll be the people that are watching your life, the hearers, the people that God draws in your life that'll be looking at you. And you don't think they're looking. You don't think they're watching you. But God's placed you there for a reason. So that way they can know the Father's love. That way they can know who he is. But it's your responsibility to prioritize that. I want to conclude with this. Mary and Joseph were not necessarily the most gifted the most wealthy, or the most famous. But the promise they were given to steward, Jesus Christ, would be a promise and a name that would be proclaimed in all generations and for all eternity. Although their priorities weren't necessarily perfect, they didn't understand when Jesus said it, I gotta be about my patera, my heavenly father's house, my heavenly father's things. Although they weren't perfect, they gave us a perfect example to learn from. His name's Jesus. I'm saying you don't have to have it perfect. Just put your trust in Jesus. Surrender and follow the Father's will. Amen? You guys want to stand at this time? I want to close with these questions as you look back and think about this scripture. My question to you is, what are your priorities? Is your priority to steward God's promise? If it is, Are you being faithful in doing the Father's will? How can you evaluate that? Let's look at that. Well, first question. Is God calling you to grow in the area of your life? Physically, mentally, spiritually, relationally? Maybe integrity, character, humility, forgiveness. We all have areas to grow in our life that we don't ever arrive. Jesus didn't. Not until he heard those words of well done, good and faithful servant. Is God calling you to center your life around the Father's perspective? Maybe he's calling you just to, hey, stay back, stay back. Come and spend time with me. It's in those times of private where God showed intimacy, showed not only who Jesus was, but his plan for his life. Is God calling you to be faithful in the mundane? That's one thing that I saw this last year that God really spoke to me. I got a good pat on the back from Pastor Brent from doing a good job this last year. I got a pat on the back from my boss at FedEx, even from my wife, and I was like, yeah, I did, a, I, I did do a good job. But then I thought about that. I was like, God, I was faithful. But did I do a good job? Did, did I do everything you wanted me to do? Because I want to hear those words when I get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I just want you to take a moment with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? And just take a moment. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And as the Holy Spirit continues to minister to you, we're going to go into a time of worship And just continue continue just to wait. Allow the Father to speak to you. Amen.
God's promise is for you, Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life, whether you're watching online or you're in here today, and you want to give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to God the Father, you want to accept the promise that he has for you, that Jesus, he died on the cross. He came to be your Lord, to be your Savior. He loved you so much, he was willing to pay the price. It didn't compare in his love for you. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and give your life to him, I just want you to pray this prayer. And if everybody can pray this prayer, just as encouragement to those that are taking this first step. Saying, Dear God, please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, fulfilling your promise and your word for dying on the cross and saving me from my sins. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Lead me, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you prayed that prayer for the first time, that is awesome. Be sure to tell myself or Pastor Brent, and we just want to celebrate you and talk to you and, and follow you up with you and celebrate that. Um, but um, before you leave today, I want to pray over you that God would help you and help me help us to steward his promise. Amen. So let's close with this. God, we thank you that you wrote eternity in the hearts of your people. And I thank you that you're so patient with your people. I thank you that you're so patient with your kids, that you wait for us to see it the way that you do. Would you help us to see it the way you do? Because our thoughts are not yours. Our ways aren't yours. Would you show us what the Father's will is? Would you show us what your heart is? Would you teach us how to continue to be willing to grow in every area of our life and whatever area you're speaking to us to grow in? Would you help us to center our life around your perspective, Father? And would you help us to be faithful in the mundane, God? Not to live for everybody else's well done, but to live for your well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Thank you, Jesus. Go with us this week and this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Brent here. Hey, thanks, Pastor Andy. Amen. Um, it's a good word. Amen? Good word. And, uh, you know, I, when I was young, growing up in the church, you know, I... I thought people would get up there and speak, and, you know, I didn't know the preparation that went into a message, right? But to really do a good message, it can take 10, 20 hours of preparation going into a message. And you can tell the difference between a message that's been prepared well and one that hasn't. So uh, good, good job, Andy. And I, I remember the few, first few times him speaking, sitting down with him, and... and uh, he would just kind of get this glaze and it's kind of like <laughs> it just wasn't all the dots weren't connecting and that's just not Pastor Andy I mean that's anybody that I've taken through classes and stuff like that and helping them to prepare a message it, it, it's a little bit of an art and a science you have to learn and, uh, and nowadays he probably steals my commentaries for a day or a week and, and puts them back and uh, he, he, 
he's doing it by himself. So uh, very well. Good, good message. Great way to begin our year out. Next, uh, next Sunday, small things that make, these are some of the small things, but small things that make a big difference in your life. And, uh, you know, we, we, I don't know if you're into resolutions or not, but people make goals and they want to do things different. It is a good time of the year to really do that. Say, okay, what went well this past year? What do I need to change? Those things are good, folks. Evaluation is really good. But many times we, we do it in a way that we set ourselves up for failure. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. How can we can make small changes a big difference? Amen? Amen. Hey, God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave. I bet there's still some coffee back there that has to be used up. So thanks for uh, braving the cold this morning and just being here with us. So God bless you this morning.